Well, after this, my life kind of changes perspectives a little bit. And I know this is like a common phrase, but it's something that has a new meaning to it for me. Uh, Live every day like it's your last. Do everything that you do with purpose and do it the best that you can. We may be young, but we've got a lot to say. We have ideas, opinions, hopes, dreams. We see our world. Everything that's good about it. And we see what needs to change. Change, 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 change. So we're stepping Stepping up. Learning to lead. Speaking up. Speaking out. And making our voices heard. Because we are the leaders of tomorrow. And we want you to hear us. Today. Welcome to the Finding Our Voice podcast. Episode 6, How to Prepare for an Emergency. Welcome back to the Finding Our Voice podcast. This is Lauren. I'm the oldest member of the podcast crew at age 18. I'm about to graduate from high school and pursue in higher education in music, specifically opera. I'm here with Jackson and Ethan. Hey guys, this is Jackson. Hello, Ethan here. Have you ever been in an emergency situation? What did it feel like? Did you know what to do or how to respond? Did you freeze like a deer in the headlights? Or was it somewhere in the middle? I have actually. um, My little sister Anna went into anaphylactic shock after she had a knee surgery and we didn't really know what was going on. It was early in the morning. We're all just kind of like either asleep or scrolling on our phones. And she started coughing and I didn't think much of it because I was like the only one awake. And she started calling out for my mom because we had just given her her pain medicine. And my mom goes running in there and she's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, call 911. And I went running in there and Anna's face had like completely like swelled up and her eyes were like swelling shut and her throat was closing off. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's gonna die. (laughs) But we called 911 and they were able to like kind of walk us through like what to do to watch her until um, the ambulance came. And we were just told to like make sure she doesn't fall asleep, make sure she tries to like take deep breaths. And we were able to do that. And then once the ambulance got there, it just was went a lot smoother and they were able to help us out a lot. I've always been kind of scared of ambulances because it always means that somebody's like in danger, but I was really grateful that they came and helped Anna because I don't know what I would have done. Wow, that would be really scary. But it sounds like you reacted really well. That's just what we want to talk about today. How to prepare for things you can't prepare for. I feel like an emergency can mean different things to different people. If a mom loses her toddler in the mall for five minutes, it can feel like a terrible emergency. But it isn't the same thing as watching a cabin explode in the middle of the woods. More on that later. For this episode, our crew got to tour a 911 emergency call center and see how experts handle the stress and respond to emergency situations every day. Yeah, that was really neat to see. I also got the chance to sit down with Lori Walker and two of her children to talk about how they survived a terrible accident that they never saw coming. Um, I'm Brianne Walker. I'm Lori Walker. And I'm Melissa Walker. Um, Would one of you tell us a little bit about your story? I'm sure. So we um, have this vacation home up in Heber, and we were going up there for um, an extended weekend. And when we headed up there, we 
um, smelt gas. My mom got a little scared and made sure all of us kids stayed in the car. As she went in, the smell got stronger. We saw her kind of wandering through the house, and after a few seconds, the whole cabin exploded. Oh my goodness, that's so scary. Um, how many of you were in the car when this happened? Um, so there's four kids in our family, and then my older sister Alyssa brought two friends, and I brought one. How did you think you were prepared for that situation? Because it's obviously very scary. <laughs> well, I might say that it's really important to feel confident and be somebody that trusts your own decisions. So getting to know yourself is really important, I think. Um, finding out what kind of a person you are and what you value will help you make decisions really quickly when you need to. Um, if I'm gonna be honest, I wasn't prepared at all. I mean, who would be prepared for that kind of thing to happen to you? But I fortunately was very grateful to be able to keep my cool and stand my ground and decided to make decisions fast and just hope that I did was right. Sometimes it feels like there's not a right answer, mm -hmm. especially when you're in those difficult situations like that. But sometimes you just have to trust your gut and go with what you feel like doing. And I, I was really grateful that I did that because eventually I found out that if I had waited even 30 more seconds to make those fast decisions, my mom would have lost her life. So I'm really grateful that I was able to pull myself together. <laughs> That's amazing. I think we're all really grateful for that too. <laughs> In the situation, you're saying that you didn't have any hesitation to jump in and help, but did you ever have like any doubts or anything? Well, you know how there's fight or flight. I definitely am a fighter. I just felt like jumping in would be the best way for me to handle things because I know that if I didn't do anything and my mom had lost her life, that would have been really, really hard on me. So I didn't really think about my doubts. I just did. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what happened after the explosion? Um, I watched the explosion go off and I think the whole car kind of went silent for a few seconds because obviously we're all going to be in shock. Mm -hmm. Immediately I jumped into that fight mode and I said, get the kids, take them to the neighbors and call 911. And I stayed back and I tried to go in for my mom, which wasn't really smart of me, but I just love my mom so much I didn't want to lose her and I didn't want to leave not trying. So I stood in the garage for a minute and I looked down at all the burning rubble and I was about to jump <laughs> and I looked up in the driveway and there was a guy screaming at me saying wait what happened and I was so grateful for his help because I really would have jumped and I really would have lost my life if I went in there no question. He came running down. I told him what happened. Mm -hmm. He told me to go get his axe. So I went up to the neighbors as fast as I could go. I grabbed his axe, brought it back down, went back up and stayed with the kids. And that was really, really hard because that's when things really settled in for us. Like, yes, the whole house just exploded. Yes, my mom was inside. Yes, she might be dead. And so it was really hard for me to try to be <laughs> strong in that situation because being the oldest, I felt so much of a responsibility to kind of take over and be the mom in that moment. So I think that actually helping my siblings helped me in a sense because I felt like I was doing something. Like I said before, my fight mode kicked in. Um, how old were you when this happened? I actually just barely got my driver's permit when this happened. So I was 15. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. So when you jumped in to help, you felt like a sense of purpose in helping your siblings 
I guess, communicate with the neighbors in a way that they could get emergency help as fast as possible. Brian, um, how did you feel in this situation? How old were you and how did you feel? I was 12 years old. Um, I think a lot of this is trust. I trust Alyssa a lot. And so she said, um, get the siblings and go to the neighbors. So I rounded everybody up as fast as I could. My little sister was super young, so I made sure that she was safe and protected and felt okay with what was happening, even though it's hard in that situation. Um, And I just did all I could to comfort my siblings while we were sitting in the neighbor's house not knowing what was going to happen. I have to interject and brag about my kids more than what they're saying. Yes, of course. So as an aside, I was a social work major and a psychology major, and I learned victims of lots of different kinds of circumstances um, tend to heal better and be less traumatized if they participate. Alyssa, you know, jumped in and did everything she could to get to me. And then when that didn't work out, she did everything she could to assist the gentlemen who were stronger and bigger than her who could help. Brienne was the one who would dress my wounds and care for my burns and make me snacks. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm so proud of all my kids for the role they decided to take because I think it helped them be less traumatized by the event. And I think it helps our whole family look back on the experience as something that we learned from and grew from instead of something that is scary and hard because we all have stories about what we did to fight through. So the values of confidence and like bravery that you've had, how did you use those in that situation? And how did you feel prepared with those like in experiences at home? Um, I would say... There's quite a few elements to that question. I know that when we were really in the worst place we'd ever been in as a family, that it was nice to have each other, to have really good, strong family relationships. And in addition to that, I think we felt more love than we ever have in our entire lives coming from all different directions, from our neighbors and friends, from our family members that have, that are extended family members that, of course, we knew loved us. But when we watched them serve us in a whole new way, one thing that you guys did to prepare for something like that was to just have strong relationships all around you. You had a support system already built in that you could fall back on when you needed them most. Um, Lori, so how did you make it out of the house? I always feel funny telling this part of the story because the truth is I don't remember anything about this accident at all. So I am retelling in other people's words that I've gathered together what had to have happened. So three gentlemen who lived nearby were uh, drawn to the explosion by all the commotion. And one of them was an off-duty firefighter. And he says that if he had approached this explosion with his fire trucks and his crew and all of his equipment on, that he would have advised the crew not to go inside. It was just that loss, that much of a lost cause. And yet here he was in nothing but his winter coat. And these other two gentlemen, not off-duty firefighters, just being willing to do everything they could to hope that they could save me. And I think they were motivated a little bit by my darling children who were off to the side so worried about their mom. Um, One of the gentlemen told me later, I couldn't come back to those kids and say I didn't try. (laughs) They fought their way into that house while it was still actively burning and collapsing around them. When they found me, I was pinned under a lot of debris and even some of the furniture from the home. They had worked for 15 or 20 minutes trying to pull me from the debris and not having any success. The off-duty firefighter, who now had the axe Alyssa had provided, had decided that the best form of action at this point would be to chop off my leg 
and tried to get me out that way because a woman without a leg is better than no woman at all, right? Before he did that, uh, he turned to the other gentleman and said, why don't you guys meet me outside? I'll carry her out after I get her free. And someone suggested, let's just do one more pull. So they all worked together with everything they had. And I believe even more than they had. They brought me out of that rubble outside, often in a snow embankment where we couldn't be seen. So when just moments later, the entire home collapsed to the floor, everybody who was watching believed that we were gone. I was gone. Those gentlemen were gone. Everyone that was in that house was gone. It's, there was no way anybody could have survived that. So my husband and my children were told that we were gone. 30 minutes later or so, I think it was Eric came up to dad, the off-duty firefighter, and he came to our grieving family to give the news, hey, your wife, she's not in good shape at all, but she is alive. I just watched her go into the ambulance. So they were given a little bit of hope there. My recovery, my physical recovery sort of took off like a rocket. At that point, I was expecting to be in the hospital for months, but it was weeks. I was told I'd be in the burn unit for weeks and it was days. Everything was just... Um, rapid fire healing. The doctors kept telling me I was a super healer. That sort of brings me back around to maybe one other thing that I, I did to be prepared for this situation. I felt compelled seven years prior to the accident to get physically fit, which is funnier if you knew me before because <laughs> I was not physically strong. I was a bench warmer on my hockey team and didn't make the track team. And I, I was not physically strong, but I felt very grateful to be physically prepared for something I had no idea was coming. Purposeful is one of our values here at One Voice Children. And we try to be purposeful in our thoughts and actions. How do you think you were purposeful? Well, after this, my life kind of changes perspectives a little bit. And I know this is like a common phrase, but it's something that has a new meaning to it for me. Uh, live every day like it's your last. Do everything that you do with purpose and do it the best that you can. And I think it's really been good for me to keep those words in mind because I've pushed myself to do a lot of things that I wouldn't do two years ago. And I think that it's because of this new drive that I have, this new mindset that I have of just being my best self and doing everything that I do with a purpose and with a drive and with a motivation. How can we look to be purposeful in the things we can't plan for? In all kinds of situations in life, you could throw up your hands and say, why me? Why'd this happen to me? And if you can turn that around to something positive and say, well, that was hard or that was unusual. What can I do with this? What can I build on with this particular stumbling block? And I think everyone in our family would have a different answer to that question. For me, I don't know why this happened to our family. My son, Gavin, he once said, if God loves us, why didn't he save you from this? And I said, he did save me from this. And he said, well, he could have done it like so that you didn't open the door. <laughs> so, this whole thing, so you wouldn't have been hurt at all. I think when we go through hard things, it humbles us and makes us better listeners and better receivers for everything around us. I think I have been put into a place where I don't take anything for granted and I appreciate the relationships in my life more. And having been the recipient of so much love and service has turned me into somebody who's more eager 
to give than I ever was before. I can never repay the hundreds of thousands of kindnesses that were given to our family at that time. But I can try. <laughs> I love that. I think it's also important to keep in mind um, gratitude for everything you see and do in life because every smile down the hall, it really does make a difference. I might even add so much so that when the anniversary of this comes around, we call it our explodiversary. <laughs> when it comes around, it's a celebration because it's our time to remember how loved, how served, how uplifted we were by this experience. Um, instead of being something that we mourn and take as a loss, it's something that we gain something from. Um, if people want to read more about your experiences and what you've learned, where can you guys, where can we go? Um, we actually set up a website called courageandkindness.org, and it just has a few videos and an explanation of what really went down that night. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I think I've learned a lot <laughs> from what you guys have said. It's time for Random Facts, the part of our episode where we share random stuff about this week's topic. Hey! This is Alex, and I'm going to share some random facts about emergency preparedness. One, nearly half of Americans lack emergency supplies for use in the event of a disaster. Two, 40% of cell phone owners do not know all their immediate family members' phone numbers. Three, more than half of parents do not have a designated meeting place in case of a disaster. Four, surprisingly, one of the best things to have in your car during a winter storm is cat litter to absorb the snow and ice. Five, firefighters in the United States responded to over 362,000 house fires in 2009. Six, it is crucial to devise a disaster response plan with older adults. With hurricanes Katrina and Sandy, more than 50% of those affected were senior citizens. Seven, in the last 25 years, there have been almost 7,000 natural disasters that have killed over 1.35 million people. Eight, it's important to have a plan to rebuild after a natural disaster. 9. Some easy things you can do to be prepared are to have a smoke detector, a spare tire, and a first aid kit. 10. Store all important documents, like birth certificates and passports, in a fireproof box. 11. Ecuador and Switzerland are leading the world in reducing disaster risk, followed by Brazil and Japan. 12. 65% of Americans think a major disaster is likely to impact them or their family in the next five years. That interview with the walkers was amazing. I can't even imagine. All that talk of fight or flight made me wonder what kind of person I am. Would I freeze at the sign of that kind of trouble or would I fight for the people I love? To be honest, I have no idea. But I think in order to prepare myself for that kind of situation, I need to work on building the kind of self-trust that enables the urge to fight. If I can believe that even at 13, I have everything I need to make my way through my problems, then I am more likely to fight when things get hard. If I am unsure if I have what it takes, I probably am more likely to freeze. Every day we have small situations where we can either build trust in ourselves or build doubt in our abilities. Talking with the walkers makes me want to work to build trust. So talk with your people. Find some ideas on building self-trust. One idea we've talked about is trying to be more purposeful in our thoughts and actions. Jackson is going to dive into that idea more in just a minute. 
versus the part of our episode where we have two things compete against each other head to head would you rather run over there and help or run away why are you asking that it's so random oh yeah well that fire over there that's cgi we're in a movie now eh whatever well would you rather help with an emergency or run away Adriana, I mean help, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. 100% of our podcast crew said that they would help. Yeah, that makes sense. On to the did you know. Did you know? Drunk drivers are more likely to survive a car crash than other people because the alcohol relaxes their muscles. So, next time you are in a car crash, go all loosey-goosey and you won't die. Hey, it's Jackson, and I'm proud to be in charge of the deep dive today for emergency preparedness. This is the part of the episode where we take one of the values of the One Voice Children organization and explore it from the viewpoint of our topic. The value I want to talk about is purposeful. We define purposeful as being thoughtful in our choices and actions. Okay, so just a little confession. I couldn't figure out where to start on this topic, so I honestly googled emergency preparedness definition and I clicked on the very first thing that showed up. They describe the term as the steps you take before after and during an emergency or natural disaster. I thought this was interesting that it said before, during, and after, because I had always thought of the term as only what you do before the emergency, you know, like being prepared before something actually happens. But this actually made more sense because both interviews we did were more about what happens during the emergency and I liked this definition because you never know when you'll be in an emergency or what emergency it will be. But the actions you take during and following an emergency makes all the difference. As a podcast crew, we had the opportunity to tour an emergency call center. As the 911 dispatcher spoke to us, I noticed that they spoke a lot about remaining calm and sticking to procedures. The man who guided us through the call center spoke about the training that 911 operators go through. They go through months of study and observation before they get to sit down to their own calls. All that preparatory work is the before stuff. When a call comes in, asking the right questions about the location and the details of the emergency are the during stuff. The last thing that the staff talked about was how important it was for each of their operators to have ways of relieving stress. They even had a couple of support dogs that live in the call center to help manage the emotions and stress of the environment. The dogs didn't like me very much. An emergency call center is a place where emergencies are an obvious thing that will happen. Another place where emergencies are planned for is NASA. I mean, can you imagine what it is like for astronauts to launch into the unknown expanses of space? They prepare, plan, and learn from past experiences. But in the end, they have to rely on themselves and their expertise should any surprises occur. Buzz Aldrin was one of the first men to walk on the moon, and he is quoted as saying, To appropriately respond to an emergency requires a very clear mind and to coolly analyze what the observations are and how to fix it. Many of us never expect or plan for emergency situations. But I think one way we can do that is practicing making good decisions when not in an emergency. Making purposeful decisions before, during, and after events in our lives can help us stay safe and also help others should the unforeseen ever occur. Well, that's it for another episode. 
Did you guys learn anything new? Well, I learned that being prepared isn't just how you act before, but keeping a level head during and even caring for your mental health with purpose after an emergency. I was really impressed with how the walkers were able to understand um, the situation and react very good, no matter their age. And it shows me that we have everything we need, no matter what. I thought it was really cool how even a 12-year-old was able to jump right into action and that kind of brings me comfort and excitement as I'm leaving for college and I'm going to be on my own and in control of my own life so I need to be able to act in a moment's notice. Thanks for listening. We hope you learned something about emergency preparedness and how to react if you were in a situation like this. Oh, by the way, you should subscribe to this podcast. Because we're pretty awesome people. And you guys are too. Thanks for listening. Bye. Catch you later. See ya. Finding Our Voice is a production of One Voice Children. Learn more at onevoicechildren.org.